Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you are a, a glorious God, a, a wonderful, loving Father. Uh, thank you for um, revealing yourself through your scriptures, uh, through your um, prophets and apostles, and most of all in the person of Jesus, uh, the Word who became flesh. So we pray that uh, today as we read the account of his um, uh, just another wonderful part of, uh, of all he, he did when he was here and said, um, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts, soften our hearts to um, take in the rich um, truths of your word. We pray that you would work powerfully by your spirit in our hearts today and transform us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus restores two demon-possessed men. When he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want of us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Thanks for that, uh, Rian, reading that passage for us. Uh, it's a pretty full-on passage, uh, and I wonder if you've ha ever had a similar experience when you're confronted by a terrifying stranger uh, I, I reckon I've had it a couple of times, usually, actually, I was thinking about it in the week, usually on trains in Sydney. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we just read, read about two terrifying men. I don't know if you picked that up as we read through. Terrifying men. Um, they were so violent, no one could pass them by. But what's really interesting about this passage is that when you get to the end of it, by the end of this passage, there's someone else that people are afraid of. Uh, there's someone else that who many want nothing to do with and who want as far away from them as possible. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They see there's something going on in this passage that is deeply powerful and wonderful to some and deeply disturbing to others. Uh, it ties in with what Matthew's doing throughout his whole gospel. Uh, we're reading through a uh, little bit by little bit as we go. We're reading through together. And we're, what we've seen in these chapters, particularly chapter 8 and 9 that we're looking at in this section, uh, what we've seen is they're all about Jesus' amazing authority, his matchless power. Uh, we saw this last week. There, there'll be, uh, if you put the next slide up, um, there'll be a picture of the storm that we looked at last week. Uh, this incredible um, account of Jesus calming the storm with a word. So Jesus leaves his home base, Capernaum, and he goes and in, gets into a boat, goes across the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, and then this storm gets whipped up. We saw this last week. And Jesus stills it with a word. He stills it with a word. Uh, and it left his disciples in awe. Uh, you remember this from the end of last week's passage, verse 27. Um, the men were amazed, and they asked, What kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of a man is this? 
Uh, that's really, that question that they asked, that we reflected on last week, that question is really at the heart of what Matthew is uncovering for us in these chapters. What kind of a man is this? What kind of a person is Jesus? Who is he? So uh, Matthew records these encounters that people have had, that people had with Jesus. And he does it so that you and I can have our own encounter with Jesus. So that as we're reading this, we can encounter the person of Jesus ourselves. Uh, so what kind of a person is this? Well, Matthew set that question up. And what, what he does in this next scene that we're looking at today is he really he, he goes into an answer for that question. He, he starts to give one significant piece of the puzzle. He starts to answer that question. Uh, but what stands out, maybe you, um, you picked this up as we read through or maybe you're reading it in your home groups for the week, what really stands out is the answer comes from a really unexpected source. Right? The, the disciples, they are confused uh, about Jesus. They're trying to figure him out. They have no idea what's going on. Uh, but there's people in this passage who know exactly who Jesus is. It's the demons in the passage, these spiritual beings of darkness that Jesus meets, and they have no confusion. They recognise Jesus straight away. In verse 29, uh, they shout out at Jesus, What do you want with us, Son of God? No confusion whatsoever. They know exactly who Jesus is straight away, but they're not happy about it. They're not happy about it. They recognise Jesus, they know him, but they don't want him to be near them. Uh, and so Matthew fills out this portrait of Jesus. And in, in this little section, in this passage we're looking at, he highlights three things. And if you've got your outline, you'll see them uh, there if you're a note taker. Uh, he highlights these three things. Jesus is the mighty son, the mighty son of God, who rescues the oppressed, who destroys the works of the devil, and incredibly, by the end of the passage, is rejected by many. Uh, so, uh, you, um, here's the story that we, we're picking it up. He's, he's still the storm. They got to the other, other side. He gets out of the boats. And, but really what's happening here is he goes from one storm to another, right? He goes from a physical storm to a, actually a far more confronting, um, terrifying storm. The, uh, this kind of spiritual storm that's raging in these two men, these two desperate men. Uh, in verse 28, we're told he gets out on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes. And there'll be a map come up. You can see, uh, you might be able to make out a, little, a place called Gadara on the map, but he's crossed over to the other side of the lake uh, on my left, your right. Uh, to this region. And the thing about this region is it's a bit unusual for Jesus to go there. Usually he spends his time in, um, in the Jewish areas uh, of, uh, around Galilee, but this region is a predominantly Gentile region, a non-Jewish region. So it's a bit unusual for Jesus to, to go there, but it gets more unusual as you read on and more, much more threatening. Um, verse 28, these two demon-possessed men Come out, come out of the tombs and they meet Jesus. And Matthew writes, they were so violent that no one could pass that way. No one could pass that way. I wonder what you make of this, these guys. It's such a strange reality for most of us, I reckon. Um, 
It's interesting that even in the Bible, mention of evil spiritual forces is actually rarer than you might think. Uh, it's pretty uncommon in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament letters. Uh, but when you get to the Gospels, it's like the, these references to demonic forces explodes. Uh, it's almost as if with the coming of the Son of God into the world, the enemies of God just go berserk. Um, the light comes and the dark gets darker. But I wonder what you make of it. This whole idea of demonic influence in the world. It's a really important question. Uh, many of it, well, We're all kind of raised in a secular worldview. Uh, it's the air we breathe in our society and it trains us to assume that the only real things are things that we can touch and see and feel, things that you can put under a microscope or things that you can see through a telescope. That kind of worldview, right? Like that's just the air we breathe, our assumptions that shape us. And so maybe you kind of come to it from that worldview. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you, there, there are some who tend to see a devil under every rug, you know, uh, behind every bad thing that happens. So your, your sore shoulder is really a demon that needs casting out. Um, well, friends, I think the worldview of the Bible is much richer than either of those extremes, actually. Uh, we don't live in a closed universe. There are unseen forces at play that you can't see under a microscope, that you can't see through a telescope. Um, but at the same time, there's this clear distinction in the Bible between sickness or injury and what gets talked about here, demon possession. Uh, demon possession, it's, it's not mental illness or a personality disorder. Those are realities of living in broken bodies in a fallen world. Uh, this is something much more personal and destructive this personal destructive influence of spiritual evil. Um, there's a great quote about this from C.S. Lewis. Again, it should be up on the screen. He writes this. In, it, uh, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Great book to read if you want to um, think more about these things. Uh, in his introduction, he writes, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence... The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So, uh, there's these, these spiritual forces at play here. But what we see in this little snapshot, these evil spiritual forces, they, they're actually, they plug into a much larger story that the Bible is telling. A much larger story. They... they uh, they come under the rule of a personal evil being who the Bible calls the devil or Satan. Uh, Jesus talks about Satan as the father of lies. And in the big story of the Bible, it is through his lies, his tempting of the first humans to turn away from God and to trust him instead. It's through his lies that our world just gets messed up, that we get messed up. Death and conflict come into the world instead of the life and peace we were made for. So when you get to verse 28, it's no surprise to see these, these two guys hanging out in a place of death. You notice that? They're, they're living in the tombs. It's this tragic sight. These men have been taken captive by these dark forces. And do you notice how, notice how lonely they are? Um, they're driven out of society, they're living in tombs, 
in this place of the dead. God's designed us for rich, loving community together. And what you see here is the opposite. Uh, In another great book by C.S. Lewis, uh, it's called The The Great Divorce, he pictures hell as people eternally moving further and further away from each other because they can't stand each other. It's an imaginative picture, but there's something really significant that he's getting out there. These lonely men cast out are a picture of, they're just a picture of hell on earth. They're lonely, and you see how angry they are too? How angry they are, they're violent. They attack anyone who gets near them. No one can get past them. No one can get past them until Jesus shows up. Of course, until Jesus shows up. So you get this scene. The men, uh, they, they run to Jesus. They're driven by these, these evil forces that are, uh, that are at play in them. And, uh, but do you see what Jesus does? He doesn't do what you or I would probably do. I reckon if I was Jesus, I'd turn to the disciples and say, now look, friends, I don't want to alarm you, but we need to get back in the boat now. <laughs> so no sudden movements, just move back very slowly and quietly and quickly, and let's get out of here. Um, but he doesn't do that, does he? Jesus stays and lets these rampaging, violent men run at him, screaming at him. Uh, he stays because he has authority. He has, he has a good saving purpose that he's working out. And I think what we see here, friends, is just this beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus' willingness and his power to save the oppressed. To save the oppressed. You could hardly find a more extreme example of human brokenness than these guys, right? Uh, We don't know their story. We don't know what had been done to them. Uh, We don't know what they themselves had done. But we do know that Jesus doesn't run from them. Jesus doesn't run from them. He gets out of the boat and he walks towards them even as they're running at him. Uh, And we do know that whatever dark power they were under was no match for Jesus. Was no match for Jesus. Now, um, I re- probably not many of us identify with these guys. <laughs> uh, not many of us, I'm guessing, kind of relate, put ourselves in their situation. Although some of us may have felt like that at times or been in situations similar, maybe. But well, I think what's happening here is they're like an extreme picture. They're an extreme picture of a condition that the Bible describes actually all of us being in at a very deep level, all of us being in apart from the gospel. Uh, so on the one hand, we are, we're responsible for our actions, right? We're moral agents. We can't blame other people for our own sins. But in the worldview of the Bible, there's another reality going on at the same time. We're also swept up into something much bigger and stronger than us. This dark current that we just can't swim out of. We have no hope of getting out of on our own. The Bible describes it as us being slaves to sin, imprisoned in this kingdom of the evil one, where we are sinners in need of forgiveness. We're also slaves in need of rescue. And that's what Jesus has come to do. That's what Jesus has come to do. 
Um, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians 1, he writes, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we, we might not show it in the same way as these two guys, right? Um, we haven't gone to their extreme. But without Christ, we are still, just, we are still captives to sin and to Satan and just as in need of saving. And, and one of the big things Matthew's showing us here about Jesus is that he is the Son of God who saves the oppressed. And if he can save these guys, he can save you. If he can save these guys, he can save anybody. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've stuffed up, Jesus won't turn away from you. He is mighty and willing to rescue you. He's the Son of God who rescues the oppressed. But there's more going on here, right? Uh, It's not like Jesus is running a covert op, right? He's kind of sneaking in behind enemy lines to steal a few people away without the enemy knowing. That's not actually the picture of what's going on here. It's more like he's come for a full-on assault on the devil and all his works. Uh, it's not, it's not um, done in, in quiet. Um, the, uh, the Apostle John, he writes in 1 John that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. If you're taking notes, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So not only to sort of liberate captives, oppressed people, but actually to destroy the works. That's what you get the picture of here. You notice what these demons say in verse 29. 29, uh, what do you want with us, son of God, they shout. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, these guys know, they know that the appearance of Jesus means their own destruction. Uh, They know that their their days are numbered, that there is an appointed time when God will judge and destroy all evil, when he will take away the misery and suffering of this world that's caused by evil. They know that there is an appointed time. They know the certainty of that. And it's as if these demons are kind of surprised to see Jesus uh, coming before that time. (laughs) They're they're surprised to see him. But here, there's, there's something just wonderful here right the wonderful news of the gospel is actually that the son of god has come before the appointed time uh, see uh, for for god to judge evil for god to destroy this kingdom of darkness uh, means that all those who are still in that kingdom are also going to be swept up in that judgment And the sobering reality is that that is all of us willingly enslaved by sin and darkness. And the beautiful gospel is the great news that God has made a way for evil to be destroyed, but for people not to be. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. People who would otherwise be swept up in God's good and righteous judgment on evil, that will happen at the appointed time. And I, th- I think that's what, what's going on with the pigs. 
Um, in verse 30, I know there's been lots of sort of conversations going on this week in home groups or what's going on with these pigs. I think on one level they are a graphic, they're like his signposts pointing to that day. Uh, see, Jesus frees his oppressed men and then we read in verse 31, these demons beg him to go into this herd of pigs. Uh, and do, do you notice as, we read, as Rian read it for us, Jesus says one word. He only has one word in this whole scene. In verse 32, he said to them, Go. So they came out, went into the pigs. The whole herd rushes down the steep bank into the lake and dies in the water. So it's a pretty strange scene and there's lots maybe we don't understand. But I I think at least it was like this graphic confirmation to these two men that this evil that had captured them for so long really was gone, really was destroyed. And, and it was like this preview of what's going to happen to evil at this appointed time that these demons knew about. Like a token of it, a, a preview of that, that day. So, Jesus is the Son of God who liberates the oppressed, who destroys the work of the devil. And you'd think, you'd think that that would be awesome news for everyone around him, right? You'd think that uh, all the people there... It would be great news, and it certainly was for the two guys he freed. But this, this story ends in a really tragic way. It's a really sobering way. So the town hears about it. They all go out to Jesus. Uh, they, they see these guys who had been terrorizing them, who had themselves been terrorized by these demonic forces. They see them, and they say to Jesus, Thank you. Please stay with us. We want to know you. If you can drive away evil like this, we, we want to be with you. No, that's not what they say. Um, Matthew, in verse 34, it's interesting, Matthew actually uses the same word to describe what they say to Jesus as what the demons say to Jesus. They plead with him. The demons begged with Jesus. It's actually the same sort of word. Uh, they plead, these, these people come out, they, they beg Jesus to leave their region, just like the demons begged Jesus. They... they See, what they recognise this. Here is someone with incredible authority and power. Uh, but just like the demons, they don't recognise him being with them as good news. They don't see the, that as good news. Uh, they're terrified of him and they want him as far away as possible. Uh, and sort of like with the demons, Jesus says, okay. He gets, we'll read next week, the first verse of chapter 9, he jumps back in the boat and heads across the lake. He leaves the region, and we don't have a record of him ever coming back to this region. They plead with him to leave, and he leaves. Uh, it, this, is, it, this rejection of Jesus is, is like a constant theme through the Gospels. Uh, it runs through all the Gospels. Wherever Jesus goes, he divides people. And what gets pictured here, this really tragic scene of them rejecting him and sending him away, what gets pictured here, it really culminates in Matthew's Gospel in the great rejection of Jesus. As he, he himself uh, is tortured and beaten and crucified. So it, what's happening here is like a sign pointing to that as well. But his grace and power are so good and great. 
Paul puts it like this in Colossians 2. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the way he has of talking about these um, sort of spiritual forces that are at play. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross. So as Jesus bears the penalty of sin on the cross, he saves his people it's like he's, he's defanging the devil. Right? He's triumph. He, he takes on the full fury of the forces of evil. And unlike these two guys, he's not overcome by them. He's not overpowered to them. He doesn't become enslaved to them. Instead, he extinguishes them. He destroys them. He doesn't believe the devil's lies. He remains faithful to his father even to death. And in his resurrection, he brings a new day of salvation and victory for everyone who comes to him by faith. Well, I think it's really interesting that Matthew doesn't record the reaction of these two guys in this account. Um, or he doesn't record the reaction of the disciples. He only tells us how the people of the region around responded. It's, it's, kind of, it's as if he's, he's emphasising this negative response, of, get away from me, Jesus. He's emphasising it, I think, in order to urge his readers not to make the same mistake. Not to make the same mistake. Uh, This passage is all about Jesus, who he is, what kind of a man is this? This mighty son of God who rescues oppressed people, who destroys the work of the devil. And when you see who he is, you either plead with him to go away or you bow your hearts in thankful worship. Those are the options. Um, There's no fence sitting with Jesus. And so there's this sobering reality that's sort of glimpsed here. uh, Is that to reject him in this age means being swept up in that appointed time. As the Lord says to the forces of evil and also to all those who are aligned with them. Go. Go to your destruction. But there is another way. There is another word from Jesus. Uh, it's not a word of judgment, but a word of invitation. A word of invitation. And I want to finish that with that invitation to you. It's a word he offers to everyone. He offers it to you today. He says, come. Come, all you who are weary and burdened. All you who are oppressed by this disordered and chaotic world, come and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. His victory over evil, friends, is won at the cross and it gives life and rest. He won't force you to receive it. If you tell him to go, he will. But receive him. Follow him, and here's what you can know. 
you can know that no power of hell can separate you from God's love because of your victorious Lord. You can know that Jesus brings freedom for the oppressed. You can know that he has won the victory over Satan at the cross, that his spirit is now alive in you so that you do not need to fear spiritual evil. And you can have certain hope that as you face that appointed day, he will say to you, come, come, enter into the fullness of my rest. So will you come to him today? Can I pray for us as we finish? Let's pray. Our God, it's so sobering to hear this account of these people who saw Jesus, who heard of these amazing things that he did, of his power to free oppressed people, of his victory over the forces of evil, and who still begged him to leave them. Oh God, give us soft hearts. We pray that we might not make that same mistake, that today each of us might hear your invitation and come to you and trust ourselves to you, knowing that with you is freedom and life and victory and peace. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, your Son, Jesus Christ, has promised that you will hear us when we ask in faith. Receive these prayers we offer. Father, we pray this morning for your church and people throughout the world. We especially pray for those suffering persecution. We pray that you would encourage them through your word and your presence. Bring comfort and strength to them and the knowledge that a crown of glory awaits them in eternal life. We pray for the Bush Church Aid Society and all its workers. We pray for those working with and in Indigenous communities, that they would love one another deeply and find forgiveness and reconciliation in society. We also pray for justice and peace for all their culture. In our Trinity Network, we pray for the churches of City, Colonel Light Gardens, Modbury and Paraka. We pray that they, along with us, will grow deeper in the knowledge and love of your word and will deepen in the maturity of faith to face the trials of life that come. We pray for our ministers and leaders in each of these congregations. Protect them from the attacks of the evil one. Encourage them to love deeply you and your son, Jesus. And may each one be filled with the spirit so that your will and purpose for your people to be fed and to be encouraged can come about through them as stewards of your people. We pray for ourselves and one another, for our witness and work in the world. Help us to boldly yet sensitively live out your word so that others will see your light through us and be drawn to it. In this country, we pray for our leaders, 
help them to rule justly. And for those making decisions about COVID, give them great wisdom and compassion. In our communities, we pray for those that are lonely, grieving, sick, or in need. Please send people to love and comfort them. Bring them a word of hope and meet their physical needs also. We pray for our bonfire this afternoon and that it would be a wonderful time of fellowship and fun and community. And we pray for those extras who have been invited that we may shine your light towards them. Father, we finally praise and thank you for who you are, for all that you've done and given us through your son, Jesus. And we pray that as we go out this week, your spirit will go with us and in us so that everything we do will be to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.